0: Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Had a great visit with Bob Myers, our new teammate at ESPN, of course the former president of the Golden State Warriors, two-time executive of the year in the NBA, and architect of a run of four NBA championships before he stepped down after last season. But Bob's obviously here with us on NBA Countdown now. He'll be with us all season. He'll be doing some games this year as an analyst. I think along with Dave, he did one with Dave Pass in the preseason. I think he's working with Dave again. But we've already had a lot of fun with Bob, Stephen A., Michael Wilbon, and, of course, our, our new Countdown host, Malika Andrews. But a great visit with Bob talking about the start of this season. The Harden situation in Philadelphia, how he might handle it as an executive. And we talked a little bit about what the new era of NBA free agency and player movement might look like and how it's going to evolve with the new salary cap and uh, just the way the league is evolving. So, uh, fun visit with Bob Myers. I know we'll do it again this season, but he's always a great guest. He's always. Very candid with his thoughts about team building, about every situation that might come up around the team. So, so here's my visit with Bob Myers. All right, so Bob, we watch these games here at NBA Countdown after we do the pregame show, right? We got a whole bank of televisions. We got all the night's action going on Wednesday night we had 11 uh eight nine ten games going on at once and you're watching these games Bob and for the first time you're doing it without having a team you're no longer the president of the Golden State Warriors but you're just there watching them you're watching Orlando you're watching Cleveland what's that like to do now it's peaceful it was great uh
1: Look, 12 years of having just everything in it, right? The adrenaline, the competitiveness, the angst, which was, which was great for the time I did it. But it was I haven't watched an NBA game without emotion, without real kind of pain, joy, all of it in between, frustration, uh, in, in a long time. And I love the game. I love watching basketball. But to watch so many games at once, I couldn't help but think about my peers and what was going through their minds. Uh, game one, you're, whatever happens, you overreact to it, right? So if you lose game one, you think, wow, maybe I didn't do the right roster. <laughs> if you win, you think we, we, we nailed it in the draft or free agency. Or, but um, for me, at least at least this time in my life, I guess the easiest thing to say is it, it felt right to, to be where I'm at. I'm, I'm supposed to be where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah, that that's... It's funny, different GMs around the league watch the games. Some sit courtside, some stand in the tunnel, some sit back in their office, some some have to sit with the owner, some don't sit with the owner, and like you said, especially opening night, you're you're living and dying with, because there is overreaction and your owner's excited and you got a sold out building, you're at home, or you're on the road and... You're getting blown out, right? It yep. just, it's, there's going to be another one coming quick, but it's still, it's still opening night.
1: Yeah. And there's a helplessness to it, right? I, I prided myself on I never, I think one time in 12 years, did I leave a game because it was too much emotionally. I think it was a finals game in Oakland. And I just, I'm not proud of it, but I'm sure a lot of GMs or people, at least they would understand. Some GMs do it all the time. I know Jerry West would, would, that was his habitual method for dealing with it. But I just, I, I realized I'm in this job. I'm going to be in the building for whatever happens, good, bad. Because if something great were to happen, which I was lucky enough to see a lot of that, I want to see it. I don't want to be in the parking lot or away when something really good happens and feel like this is what we do it all for and I missed it. So you have to risk dealing with the pain if you lose, so.
0: I don't think any fans ever really saw that until Moneyball with Billy Bean, yeah. right? Billy Bean, yeah. who you know, is front yeah. of yours, right? Yeah. I don't know, think people realize he sort of lived that. He didn't want to be in the
1: that ballpark. M- that movie is so good at characterizing the life of a general manager. When he's in the car turning his radio on and off, and, and, and a lot of people watching that movie are probably kind of like, this isn't real. That is, abs- ask any general manager in any sport is that real? Is that something that happens? And it absolutely he, When he's in the weight room and, and looking at, text me if anything happens. <laughs> and uh, it's it's a uh, it's like this torturous torturous uh, way of um, living and and going through it. But there's nothing like the adrenaline of the job. But certainly that movie was was so good at showing kind of an inside look into the life of
0: it. Well. You are with us at ESPN now, Bob, Uh, NBA Countdown opening week. We're here in New York, and then we'll pick up again with your group, with Stephen A., Michael Wilbon, Malika, at the in-season tournament in Vegas, right? So that'll be when we pick up again, which is a month away. So it's pretty good life. You work a week, and now you you bail for a month here. That's not true. I have responsibilities. (laughs) I have – look –
1: I'm doing a game in between there. That's I right. Got you do, do, that's I right. got a game, I a game, and, you know, I have other
0: stuff that I'm probably going to do too. I just don't know what it is. All right, Bob, so let's look at the James Harden situation now. In Philadelphia, uh, the league, as we reported, is looking with this new player participation policy, right, the league has got to evaluate whether the Sixers should have had Harden on the floor or should have had him on the trip, for a national TV game against the Bucks on Thursday. And so the league's got to, we're going to hear about this all season long. Let's start there with, with James Harden. The position that the league is in, the team is in, listen, this is not what the player participation rule was put in place for, this whole Harden situation. It's not an injury. It is not rest. It's a player who has not, really played enough in the preseason to start up on opening night, but what do you make of where this thing is right now? A lot to unpack here. I think, one, the league
1: is at least signifying they're going to take this seriously. I think you said it well, though, that just because they're looking at it doesn't mean they're going to do anything about it, but I think they want to send some kind of message of we're serious about player participation. I agree with you in that I don't know that this falls into the category they're trying to oversee this is more of look star player not playing let's find out what's going on and I think they're saying to the rest of the league we are going to monitor this we're going to take it seriously coming from that world of trying to get players healthy I, I do think that Philly is operating on the up and up here with trying to get a player back who's trying to get in shape traveling with the team is usually not the right approach to getting a player up to speed getting him healthy getting him ready to go it's usually better in your facility when the NBA teams travel, your hotel, your bus rides, your cramped spaces, you don't have the same access to treatment rooms. You don't have the same access to recovery. And so the idea that it was better for Harden to stay in Philly makes a ton of sense to me. Um, And, and add to it what you reported, which is he offered to go. So this isn't, and I don't think Philly told him not to go for any reason, but we want you to play. And the best way for you to play is to go back to the facility and get in shape. So, I don't see any subterfuge here. I don't see anything uh, that the league would say, hey, you're in violation of something. Now, they certainly could, but based on the facts you're reporting and based on what I know of uh, how things usually work and how I would answer that question if the league was looking into something that I was in charge of as president of basketball ops, I find that um, this is more of the league saying, we're going to examine all these things every time, even if they don't fall clearly under the line of, player participation as it was stated in the rules
0: are these big enough financial incentives for a contending team that really wants to protect their championship hopes will teams just pay these fines and let themselves get hit if that rest and these games fall on nights where they feel like it's going to help us later are they going to pay they'll pay a million two million three million let this thing escalate no that's a lot of money
1: I mean I don't care how much money you have that look Will there be times where a team or an organization, an ownership group, a GM, a coach, a training staff are fully aligned? A star player saying, "I don't care what the league does. We're doing the right thing here." They think we're skirting the rules. We're not. We're going to take a principled position here. And if they find us, they find us. But we're not doing anything wrong. To your point of, are they going to kind of, um, in a way that uh, a flippant way, say, "Who cares if we get fined?" We're doing this. I don't see that happening. These numbers are big.
0: And I think there's going to be a lot of peer pressure among owners. We pass this for a reason. We are trying to negotiate a big TV deal. There is some peer pressure.
1: Now, what will be – 100%. What will be interesting is I wonder what will happen when there's a heavy discussion amongst an organization and it's 50-50 if a guy can go or not. And they choose to go based on the rules and the player gets hurt. That will be interesting because – there are times where it's a close call, right? There's a, it's a close call oftentimes in the last three, four, five years, and it's not what maybe people think where you're blatantly saying, I don't care what anybody says. We're not playing Steph Curry. Oftentimes, it's more of what's the risk reward, right? This guy's running in the red. He's at a certain age. He's coming off an overtime game. It's a back-to-back. What's the right thing to do? And the player says, I want to play sometimes, or the player says, it's up to you, or the coach says... Don't, or the GM says yes, and the trainer says, What do you think? And it's collaborative, and you decide to green light it, and the guy gets hurt. And I'm wondering if that happens. Does somebody say, Well, we did that, we complied, and now this player's out for two weeks? So that's the thing that I don't know how it'll go, but I do like the fact that the league is pushing for this. I like the fact that the owners are pushing for it, and I like the fact that the players push for it. The most important thing, though, at least in the West, there's never been a more competitive Western Conference. It was never this competitive when I was there for the last 12 years. So there's also a motivation of we can't just kick a game anymore. It's too jumbled up. Now, if somebody has a 10-game lead and there's a week to go and they're kind of like, look, we want we got nothing to gain here except for an injury, that, that's another kind of one of those one-offs that they're going to have to navigate.
0: You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 DIRECTV tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Bob, is there? Uh, Philly played well. Uh, Tyrese Maxey played really well. Embiid was Embiid. Uh, opening night. Uh, uh, Kelly Oubre, who played for you for you in Golden State for a season, had a great debut with the Sixers. Almost pulled one out in Milwaukee. Let's say Philly plays really well, and Harden doesn't come back right away, and they're playing at a pretty high level, or Harden's in and out a little bit early, but they're playing really well without him. Does that create leverage? Who does that create leverage for? I don't know that at any – I, I would flip that question on its head
1: and say if they're playing really poorly or, or vice versa in this scenario. If they're
0: playing poorly – they're playing
1: poorly, but if they're playing poorly, they might lower – they might just – or they might say, we got to get him back and we're not trading him. Or we might stay where we're at and say, if we're going to move this guy, we got to get something back good. We need real help here. But the, the, the better – the bigger question is the Clippers. If they're the team, and you're dialed in as anybody, if they're the one team that is interested in James Harden, they're the record to watch because they're the team, if they're playing great, that's not going to get desperate. They're the team, if they're not playing great, that may up their offer. I think Philly can kind of sit there and say, we've got this guy, he's ramping it up. We don't have a good deal. We're okay if he comes back. We'll let him take his time. We're not feeling any pressure. It's more about the inverse of if things aren't going well. And I think that, like I said, more the Clippers. If the Clippers start out seven and one, Lawrence Frank isn't going to start panicking about making a move or certainly up his offer. So who's going to give on their ask? Who's going to change the offer? And usually when you change an offer, it's because things are
0: not going well and you feel like you have to do something. If you're James Harden and you want to get traded – you know Daryl Morey doesn't want to trade him. They know in the end to win this season. There may not be a trade out there that gets them back, a player who helps them win more if if Harden is engaged. So if he comes out and plays hard, it plays really well, and it's going well, can you see in Harden's head where it would be, that's going to just keep me here. They're going to go, well, you're engaged, you're playing hard, we're winning. That isn't, oh, hey, Phil, the Clippers might up. I don't know if the Clippers are going to up their offer, but – Clippers make an offer or even become more aggressive, you still know like it's gonna be I think what you're asking is what is Harden's motivation to yeah. play well? Yeah. Right? What's his motivation Th- it, to play it, well? That it may keep yeah, him there right, versus get him yeah. sent so you're out. Saying
1: in his circle, in his own mind, why would he comply? And I guess the question is, it feels like his back's against the wall and he doesn't have a choice right now. He put it's it feels like he's pushed pretty hard and made his Frustration's public, um, not shown up, uh, not been compliant with a lot of the things. But in the last 48 hours, showed up. He acquiesced to them saying, get to the facility. Um, I have no idea if he's working hard, but all, all assumptions are that he's doing what they ask him to do. Uh, it may be that James Harden's saying, I'm, I, I made a play. It didn't work. I'm going to see, maybe he's saying, I'm going to see how the next two weeks go for me. Um, I may say privately, I'm going to come play for the next two, three weeks. But after that, whatever. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I cannot get in the mind of an NBA player. But I do know this. These things change all the time. Kevin Durant had a very public trade demand. Um, but then he came back and played and said, I'm going to play all year. Then he gets traded to Phoenix. Phoenix. I don't think if Kyrie had asked for a trade, Kevin would have asked for a trade. So this is why your job and what our job is now is so, I guess, interesting to people is hang on and see what's going on
0: next week because you just don't know. And these things change daily. The pressure on the Sixers organization, Bob, to keep Joel Embiid on board with this is that if you're running the Sixers... That's the question you're asking every day, and I think Daryl Morey's done plenty of it. Here's what a trade would look like. Here's what we would get back. Here's what I think we could what we could get out in the marketplace, because the trade from the Clippers isn't going to bring us back anything to help us win right now. We're we're looking to get their picks or their assets to flip them somewhere else. Who knows what the kind of player Philly wants to acquire? Everybody in the league, if there's a great player available. Everybody wants, there's a lot of teams are going to try to get better. Doesn't mean you're guaranteed of getting them or he even becomes available. That's what you're trying to sell to Joel the whole time here to tell him to hang on, right? Well, look,
1: every general manager, every organization, every owner, coach is under pressure when you have a top 10, 15 player. And here's how it works you're lucky, to, however, you get him, that's fantastic. Great. You drafted him, you traded for him, however, you did it. And then you got him. And then you're lucky and you say, we've got this player that can be the best player on a championship team. And there may be 10, 10 of those guys in the league. And then you navigate the waters with them and you make the playoffs and then you lose. You make the second round, you make the Western Eastern Conference finals, make trades, make drafts. And after an amount of time, maybe it's three years, maybe it's five, maybe it's six. And, and for whatever reason, you're that star player and you say, you know what? I rode this wave with you for eight years or nine years or whatever. It didn't work. I don't care why. It doesn't matter. We're not doing we're not doing well. I don't the, the reasons don't matter anymore. So I'm looking somewhere else. That's not just Philly, that's any place. That's just the responsibilities and the world we live in. Some players, even Lillard, who said for many years, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving here. Finally, after Trailblazers draft a young player, don't don't make the trade, he says, It's over. I I I I tried. And I kick it in his head, and he says, I'm done. And the reasons aren't even important anymore.
0: Last thing, Bob, along those lines, listen, it was a huge part of your run in Golden State was signing Kevin Durant as a free agent. And then Kevin Durant leaving as a free agent the same year Kyrie Irving was leaving and going, you know, both of them went to Brooklyn. Is it possible we may not see players of that caliber and that stature enter free agency anymore? That we're in a place where you just are going to sign the extension where you are for the most money you can get, and then when you're ready to leave, you're just going to ask for a trade. That we may not see guys get to the end of their contracts like that. That, that it is, it'll be that second-tier player in free agency.
1: Well, the, the, the delta now between signing with your own team and another team is is huge, right? You're talking 50 million, $60 million. Um, and the model of asking out seems to be working. For many players, uh, it's the portal. I'm entering the portal. the portal. Yeah, it is, yeah. and it's look. You've you and I might disagree on one point. You think that a player can ask no matter how many years they have left out, and 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 I guess we could argue about that. What I would say is, what is probably more the trend is as a player approaches a player option year or one year left, that's the moment in time where that GM has to think about it and say, what are the chances of me keeping this player? So if your ex player and you come to my office and you, or your agent and you say, listen, you can't say it publicly because you can find. And you say privately, look, I'm I'm out of here at the end of this contract. So FYI, and these are the teams I want to go to. And you go, well, don't give me one team. Give me as many as you can if you really want to do this. But your choice as a general manager then is to say, I don't believe you and roll the dice. And that's a scenario we you get to free agency. But as the season unfolds, even as you get to the trade deadline, you start thinking, am I really going to risk it, right? Am I really going to risk it and say, go ahead, go try free agency. Not any GMs have taken it there either. So it's not just the players. No GM has said, okay, I'll call you on that one and go ahead and see if you can get it in uh, in free agency with, with one or two teams that has cap space. Right,
0: right. and that's it. And, and we're in a world in the NBA where typically the teams – If I'm a great player and I'm going to sign in a cap space, it's probably not a really good team.
1: I'll I'll, I'll tell you what may be different, though. With this second apron, I think GMs are going to be more discerning about giving out money. Yeah. And I think that's going to be an eye-opener for a lot of agents and players as far as this automatic max player designation. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we're not too far from a team saying, I will not give you the max. Let's say it's $50 for said player. I'll give you 42 And then the player's going to say, well, I'm not signing that. And then you say, well, there's nobody out there that has $50 million in cap space. So I don't know that we're too far off from players still signing huge deals, but GM saying, I'm not
0: giving you – I'm just going to give you a max contract. And it may be players signing those max deals in markets. They wouldn't have wanted to maybe do it before. If I'm going – that you're going to have to chase the cap space and the money to get – paid which is what the league wanted right they wanted to spread the talent around they wanted in golden state you know that jordan i'm just using jordan pulls as an example where you guys were willing and able to go deep and deep in the luxury tax to say no we want that fourth great player or fourth 30 million dollar a year player we want him in charlotte or indiana or wherever that was the, a big part of the goal of this, and, yeah. and That's they're gonna probably going to get there. Yeah, right. and I mean, pool pick a player, but yeah. I've
1: said this. I think we're heading more towards a kind of two-headed monster than a three-headed monster on teams as far as these triple max or, or three-star systems, um, big three. I think it's going to become the big two. And then the question really is who are your big two? But I, I do believe what I said previously, which is the era of – hey, I'm a max, even the way you talk about a max player, or I think about a max player, I do think we're more headed towards as the money gets as big as it gets, but it'll be curious to see what GM holds that line first, and says, I, I don't, yet, yeah, under the old system, you were, and I'll still give you 45, I'm just not giving you 52, and that's that'll be interesting to see how that goes.
0: Bob, you have work to do here at the uh, Seaport Studios, thank you for Taking time, enjoy your month off for it's your month I and one game. I, I know one going game.
1: on. I'm busy. I got stuff. I just don't want to <laughs> say it
0: publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you, of course, to my guest, ESPN's new NBA analyst, Bob Myers. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod Wherever you get your podcasts, be sure also to listen to the Adam Schefter podcast with the great Adam Schefter. We'll catch you next time.